And uh, we've been making our way through the book of Daniel, and uh, we've been talking about how you have everything that you need to be a part of the work of God right here, right now. That you don't have to get your life together, you don't have to have all the answers, you don't have to have a degree, or go to the school of ministry, or to have read the Bible through a hundred times. If you have a pulse, and you have a relationship with God, God wants to use you right where you're at. And I think sometimes we, we don't realize that, or sometimes we think that we don't have anything, or we could never be used by God, or what would we ever say, or what would we ever do? And when we just say, God, I'm, I'm yours, he begins to do things in our life and through our life that we could never, never do on our own. And Daniel, his, his life is really a picture of that. Sort of uh, the book of Daniel is broken up into two parts we've been talking about. The first part is history, and it's the life of Daniel, and it's in chronological order. We're introduced to Daniel. He's a young boy, a teenager, living in his homeland in Israel. The, Babylonian, uh, the Babylon comes in, and they conquer Israel, and they take him into captivity into Babylon. There he begins to uh, work, but before he works, he sets himself apart. He says, I'm going to be different than the culture that's around me. I'm going to live for my God, even in a, in a culture, in a world that's totally against my God. And so he set himself apart, and then he was favored and exalted as a result of it. He was persecuted, and yet he was influential, and God used him right where he was at. We talked about uh, him in the lion's den. We talk about his buddies going, getting thrown into a fiery furnace. You know, all these amazing stories. And then the book sort of concludes chronologically, like the end of Daniel's life comes in chapter um, 6 thereabout. Um, but then it sort of uh, goes back in time in chapter 7 through the end of the book of chapter 12. And this is, we go from history to prophecy. And we've been talking, we've been sort of camped out on this idea the last few weeks on this idea of prophecy. And prophecy, what it is, really simple, is God giving us a window or a look into what the future is going to look like. Because we established already that God is outside of time. God doesn't operate on the same calendar that we operate in. Like God's not like, I wonder what tomorrow is going to look like. The Bible says that God knows the end from the beginning. Like God is outside of time. He is above time and space. And so it's not this big shock if God were to speak to his people and say like, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future. And so that's what's happening in the book of Daniel. Part of Daniel's ministry is to receive prophecy, receive future, write it down for our benefit. Now, his prophecy can be broken up into two parts, fulfilled prophecy and unfulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled in the sense when Daniel wrote it, it was prophecy, but it's history for us. So Daniel wrote about it way before it happened, but we look back on it and say, oh, that already happened. Does that make sense? Daniel wrote about it here. We're here. It happened here. And then also parts of Daniel is unfulfilled prophecy, meaning it hasn't happened yet, but we can have confidence because of what has happened that what has not happened will happen. And so we have, we have this confidence as he gives us a glimpse into our future, our, uh, uh, what human beings and maybe uh, our own life will experience before we go. Now, 
Tonight we'll see the final prophecies made by Daniel, um, both about his future and about our future. Now this chapter, specifically chapter 11, we'll get into chapter 12 as, as well, but this chapter is one that many critics of the Bible try and use to discredit the Bible and discredit Daniel. And the reason they use this chapter in particular is because the prophecy is so accurate that they think it had to have been written after those things happened. So Daniel writes about these things hundreds of years before they happen. They come to pass, and then now people look back and they go, there is no way Daniel could have lived in the time period that he lived in because what he's writing about is so accurate, it's as if it had already happened. And so people say, like, all of Daniel's no good, all of the Bible's no good. Why? Because this is too accurate. And Daniel's like, well, I mean, God just told it to me and I wrote it down and that's what happened. And there's plenty of, and I don't want to get into it tonight, but there's plenty of, of proofs to show that Daniel lived in the time in which he says he lived in, the time of Babylon. Um, but the primary thing and the interesting thing about this chapter is it goes into such detail about the future for Daniel that people are like, uh-uh, Daniel's a liar. But that's because when God says something, it happens. When God speaks, it happens. And, and we'll just pause time out before we even get into the text, before I even get into my message title, and tell you that when God speaks something over your life, it happens. When God has a plan for your life, it comes to pass. God doesn't just say things just to, like, fill the air with more, with more breath. When God says something, it happens. And so if he's called you, he's called you. If he says he loves you, he loves you. If he's got a plan for you, he's got a plan for you. Because when God says something, it happens. So Daniel is going to write some of these things. And we're going to break down some of the, the fulfilled prophecy and then also look at the unfulfilled. I've told this message, if you want to write it down, the end and the beginning. The end and the Beginning. Daniel chapter 11 is where we'll start, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading this in the NIV, and it says this. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, he says, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now, pause for just a moment. You notice how this uh, right here, there's the end of the parentheses, but right here there's no beginning of the parentheses. You guys see that? Well, the reason for that is because the chapter broke in the middle of a parenthetical thought. So super weird. Just so you know, the Bible, when it was written, did not have the chapters and verses. That was added later. So th there's a middle of the thought. Some reason, some guy decided that this would be a perfect time to make the chapter break. So um, what's happening is there's a, a parenthetical thought, and Daniel adds to it. He says, and in the first year of Darius, it gives us time. He says, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now, what's happening contextually is that an angel is speaking to Daniel. He's having a vision that an angel speaking to him, and this is what the angel is saying. Moving on, verse 2. He says, now then I tell you the truth. This is the angel speaking. He says, three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth who will be far richer than all others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the, uh, the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. We're going to pause right there. Gives us a glimpse. Now, first, notice the detail already. 
We're, we're still in, living early on uh, in the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, but he tells us that Persia's going to come, Greece is going to come around. At this moment, when Daniel's writing, Greece is not a superpower. Later, Greece comes to power, Alexander the Great, we'll talk about him in a moment. But, but at this time, when Daniel's writing, it hadn't happened yet. Right? But he's just writing these names down, Persia and Greece. Now, let me, if you guys will, for the next, let's say, I'll try to do it in under eight minutes, okay? I am going to give you a history lesson, okay? I'm so sorry for this, okay? If you're like, I hate history, I thought this was church, not school, please bear with me for the next eight minutes. Can you do that? Yeah? You guys, you're going to do this. I need some confidence. We're going to do this? All right. History for the next eight minutes, and then we'll get into Bible. I mean, it's Bible talk, but you know what I'm trying to say. All right, so Daniel is receiving prophecy from an angel who's speaking to him. And these things in this chapter are all history now, future for Daniel, right? That, you've got to make that, that framework of looking at this makes it super interesting, right? Imagine you write a story about the next, a story that's going to happen 15 years from now. And then people study it and be like, it actually happened like exactly as he said 15 years earlier. So that's basically what's happening. I mean, it is what's happening. So he tells us a couple things. First, he tells us that Persia is going to have four kings, one stronger than the other. This is a reference to a king by the name of Xerxes. Anybody heard of Xerxes? Anyone? Anyone? All right. If you know the Bible, he goes by a different name. His story is found in the Bible in the book of Esther. King Xerxes is the king at the time. Uh, he is need, in need of a new wife because his other wife like, didn't listen to him, and he got all angry and bent out of shape. So he's like, he holds like, the first ever like, Persia's next top model, and they do these hosting things. He picks Esther. He thinks she's cute. Marries Esther. Esther is ultimately used by God to save the Jewish people from the hand of the Persians. But Xerxes... Important guy, he comes to power at this time and he attempts to occupy the world. He's most known in, in sort of your history books, not necessarily for the story of Esther, but for his failed attempt to conquer Greece. So he tries to conquer Greece, it doesn't work. We're told in verse 3, that, that's verse 2, then in, in verse 3, we're told that a king will rise from Greece and this will be a mighty king. This is a reference to Alexander the Great. We've heard of Alexander the Great. Now, he will conquer the known world faster than anyone ever. He'll do it. He's a young guy in his 20s, conquers the whole world faster than ever. The interesting thing, this is sort of a side note, but when, when Alexander conquered an area, what he would do is after he would uh, conquer that city or that nation, he would set up in that nation basically a mini Greece. So he liked Greece culture, and he would come in, and when he would set up the roads, the way they talked, the way they dressed, what they worshipped, everything would happen right there. When he came to Israel, uh, a man by the name of uh, Josephus, who was a secular historian, so not a Bible writer, like a basically regular history guy, he writes that when, when Alexander the Great got to Israel, specifically Jerusalem, he looked up, and the priests of the temple walked outside of the city all wearing white. 
And this caught Alexander the Great's eye. And the reason for that is because he had a dream a couple nights earlier that he was going to see people all clothed in white. So Alexander the Great shows up to Israel, sees all these priests dressed in white. He goes up to them. He's like, what's going on? They, those priests, open up the Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter 11. They open it up and say, see this mighty king? That's you. And what it does is it causes Alexander the Great to stop in his tracks. And literally, he, he takes over Israel, but he allows them to continue to worship the way they've always worshipped. Israel was different because they worshipped the one and true, the true and living God. They didn't worship the false gods. And he allowed them to continue to worship in the temple to Jehovah God, sacrifice and all of the things. Pretty remarkable because these priests stood up and said like, hey, buddy, you're living out what Daniel wrote about. So then... After time, we're told about this. That empire was going to fall, and it says there at the end, verse 4, that it was going to be broken up into four parts, and it wouldn't go to his descendants. Because after Alexander the Great died, his empire was broken up and given to his four generals. Just like the Bible said, right? Remember, Daniel's writing this beforehand. Given to his four generals. Those generals, uh, they're all over the world, but the chapter, uh, Daniel 11, focuses on two of the, the four empires. Um, one by the name of uh, the Seleucids in the north. I'm giving you guys more information that you need, but it's just really cool. So the Seleucids in the north, which would be Syria, and the Ptolemies in the south, which is Egypt. And the reason is because Israel was in between the two. So the Bible follows those two because Israel was in between. I've got a photo just to show you guys. So it's broken up into four parts. This is nice, right? So we've got, I'll stand here, I think is a good spot. So we've got Israel right here, right? Everyone see Israel? Okay, we've got Syria to the north, which would be the Seleucids. After Alexander the Great, it's broken up into four parts. One of them's up here in Syria. The other one is down here in Egypt. These two are mad at each other primarily because they want to occupy Israel because it's a great trade route. It gets you from Africa into the Middle East. So it's really important if you could have that trade route. And they're annoyed that Alexander the Great left it as not a mini Greece. So they're all mad at Israel because they're continuing to worship their God, not worshiping the Greek gods, and uh, so they're mad at each other. What ends up happening, long story short, is this guy decides to come down here and attack Egypt. Well, at the meantime, Rome is starting to come into power. Like, we'll hear about Rome later. In the time of Jesus, Rome is in power. So Rome is kind of like off in the distance, like just kind of slowly taking over the world. They don't even know it yet. Like, Rome is just like being gangster and taking over the whole world. They're mad at each other. So he comes down here to take Egypt. Well, what happens is Rome kind of backs him up and sends this guy. We'll talk about him in a second. Um, his name is Antiochus uh, Epiphanes. Um, he, he comes down to attack. Rome shows up and sends them back to Syria. 
And it, it says that in detail. Look at verse 28 of the same chapter. Um, it says that the king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. And then it says his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up an abomination that causes desolation. So I mentioned um, Antiochus Epiphanes, right? Everyone say Antiochus. I'm almost done with the history lesson. You guys still with me? Okay. So these two kingdoms, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, they're fighting for a while, about 150 years, until finally one king in the north comes to power, Antiochus Epiphanes. He attacks the south. He doesn't prevail because Rome creeps in and helps him out. So he hightails sort of like with his tail between his leg back up to uh, Syria, but he's been out of shape. He's all mad. So what he does, sort of because he just lost that battle, is he takes it out on Israel. And this guy... Um, this is before the time of Jesus. You know how the, your Bible ends in Malachi and then it goes to Matthew? There's about 400 years of history that take place that the Bible doesn't record. This is all happening in that 400 years of silence. So Antiochus Epiphanes goes down. He loses a fight, so he takes it out on Israel. And one of the things he does is he kills about um, 80,000 Jewish men and women and he sets up an idol in the temple, the, the temple to God. He sets up a temple to Zeus, and he sacrifices a pig in the temple, defiling, desecrating the temple. Now, again, giving you guys too much information. Guy by the name of Judas Maccabeus, he's a kind of an interesting character. He led sort of a revolt against this guy. They helped fight, and he was the one that purified the temple. And uh, as the story goes, is he set up the, the little lamp in the temple afterwards, and it burned for a, like seven days. It had one day's oil or longer than that. Dor, help me out. Eight days? Eight days. Dor's from Israel, so he's going to fact check all these things for me. Um, but that's where, that's where Hanukkah comes from, is this character, Okay. Guys, all caught up on your history, yeah? yeah? Hey, give yourselves a hand for listening to all of that. Now, so that stuff, remember, Daniel writes it. It's prophecy. We look at it as history, right? He wrote about it. God did what he said, and we look at it as history. All of these things, these empires, finally Rome comes to power. That's the time of Jesus. That is for another time. Now, Daniel gets a final word in chapter 12 because the text transitions from history for us to prophecy for us. And it tells us that really that guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, is a type or a picture of what will be what the Bible refers to as the Antichrist, which we've talked about him already in previous lessons. Now, Although Antiochus Epiphanes is a type of the Antichrist um, who will come and he will do very similar things. When the Antichrist comes, he will do very similar things. He will set himself as a god in Israel. He will defile the temple once again and he will kill the people of Israel. Now, um, Daniel gets this final word from the vision in chapter 12. Let's look at chapter 12 and we'll, we'll wrap things up. 
I'm going to read the chapter to you because I like, I like sort of when we conclude a series to read the whole chapter to kind of see it. It says this, at that time, Michael, this is the angel, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not had happened from the beginning of nations until the end. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. He says, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. He says, many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river, one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Isn't that a great question to ask? He's like, how long? <laughs> like, you're telling me this stuff, like, when's it going to happen? Now, Daniel's not going to see any of it. Daniel's going to die, and all of these things will take place over the next few 100 years into our time period and beyond. So Daniel's not going to see any of it, but he's like, how, how long? Like, am I going to see this? How long before these things are fulfilled? Then the man clothed in linen by him who lives in the river lifted his right hand and his left toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for time, times, and half a time. And you're like, all right, man. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all of these things will be completed. I heard, but I didn't understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand from that time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up. Listen to how specific this is. There will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits Four and reaches the end of the 103, worth 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. I want us to show us three quick things that Daniel is told that apply to us when it comes to the future and what to expect about the end. Number one, Daniel was told to watch. When it comes to our future, when it comes to all of these things, we are called to watch. Daniel was given all of these prophecies, right? Chapters and chapters of prophecies so that he could prepare and watch what was going on in the world. The, the scripture is filled, listen, with prophecy that relates to us. The scripture is filled with it. Entire books about what is future for us. Not only about the events that will take place, but about the world that, or the way the world will be when those things take place. So, so there's events that will happen that are future, but then also the Bible goes on and says like, hey, when these types of things begin to happen, make sure that those kind of perk your attention a little bit. One of the things uh, from our text that's sort of a sign of the times, if you will, um, look at verse 4 at the end. He says, many will go here and there to increase knowledge. 
But one of the signs of the times, he says, that many will go here and there and increase knowledge. Can I tell you that knowledge has never been more readily available than in the day in which we live in? Did you know that you could fact check anything that I said, this entire message, by simply making a Google search with the rectangle that's in your hand? Like at any moment, right, we have more information at our fingertips than we have ever had before. Uh, another translation also mentions this idea that people will go to and fro across the earth and knowledge will increase. Now, did you know that you could hop on a plane right now and get to the other side of the world in less than a day? Think about that. Hannah was telling me that, that uh, an airline is trying to set up a way that they can go straight from JFK in New York to Australia. It'll be a 20-hour flight. Oof, that sounds miserable. Even the pilots in the room are like, no, thank you. 20-hour flight. But the reality is, is Australia is on the other side of the planet. Like, I mean, it's, it's a long ways away. And if you were to just like, let's just like row a boat there and see what happens. Like, we'll see you in the next life because you're not making it back. But we can just hop on a plane and go because people, and he says, a sign of the time is that knowledge will increase and people will be able to travel wherever they want, whenever they want. So, so when Daniel writes things like that and we look around at our world, it should cause us to go like, whoa, like something's happening, right? So he tells us to, to watch should draw our attention to scripture. The second thing we're told is to wait. It's to wait. Specifically for us is to wait for Christ's return. Jesus says very clearly that we are to wait for his return because he is coming back. We believe that Jesus, just like he came a first time, he is going to return. This, this time it'll be different. He won't come through the virgin birth. He won't live a long life. He's going to come up, the Bible says, with a, with a shout on a white horse. It's going to be glorious. Jesus is coming back. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says it like this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And it says the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left, he says, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This is the, the, this is the primary doctrine where we hear about this idea of the rapture when Jesus comes back for his church. We are to wait, he says, for Christ. Now, this is a side note, but I think it's important for us to understand because I think it's fun to geek out on prophecy stuff. But at the same time, the primary call for the follower of Jesus is not to figure out when he is going to come back, but rather wait with an expectation as if he were to come back today. You know, I think one of the things that... that shows us that Christ is going to come back before the Antichrist is going to get set up or before any of these things happen is because if we were to just wait for, like, the Antichrist, it's going to be very obvious. What's going to happen is there's going to be a one-world government that's going to be very clear. He's going to make a treaty with Israel. The temple's going to be back. Uh, then halfway through, he's going to break his, he's going to have a seven-year treaty. He's going to break it halfway through. He's going to turn. He's going to desecrate the temple. All of these things are very clear about the behaviors of the Antichrist. And if we were still here, we'd be like, oh, yeah, there he is. 
But we're not, we're not supposed to just look around and wait for some creepy guy to like be that dude, right? That was a great sentence. You're welcome. All right, guys, let's, I think we're good to pray now. <laughs> no, we're, we're called to wait for Christ, to wait for him. Now, the third thing, the final thing in worship team, you guys can come up here. We're supposed to watch. We're supposed to be aware, check for what's going on. We're supposed to wait primarily for Christ. But then the third thing, we're supposed to work. We're supposed to work. Twice in the text, the angel says to Daniel, he says, go your way, Daniel. The, the, the language that he uses there when he says, go your way, he's basically saying, put these things out of your mind. Like, Daniel just received, like, the craziest pieces of information. And uh, the, the angel says, like, Daniel, don't even think about it. He's like, how am I supposed to not think about that? And, and he says, go your way. And he tells him very clearly, he says, uh, uh, you will rest. And then at the, a- the end of the days, you will uh, rise to receive your allotted inheritance. The idea, he's to put, off, put, out, uh, put this stuff out of his mind and keep living his life. Because I think what happens is, especially when it comes to, to prophecy or all of these little nerd things that we like to look at, what happens is, is it's almost like crippling because we're like, well, it's just all going to end this way and it's just going to happen and what am I going to do about it? And then what happens is you get all these weird Christians, right, that are like hiding out in bunkers and doing weird stuff, like really weird stuff. And they're like, well, just got to, you know, any day, brother, any day. And we're like, yeah, I guess. But very clearly, the call of the follower of Jesus is not to hide out and be afraid of, of the future, or afraid of what might happen, or afraid of this, that, and the other. The call of the Christian is never to hide or be afraid. The call of the Christian is that we have the message, a message of hope that the world needs. And so there's still people in our world right now that don't know this hope, this hope that God loves people so much that he willingly came down to earth and offered himself to us so that we could know him personally. He could transform our heart, transform our life, give us a purpose here and now, allow us to experience the life that he has for us today and then ultimately with him in eternity. We don't just sit around and wait and sing kumbaya and be creeped out. We Listen, Christian, you have work to do. There's people in your schools that need to know Jesus. There's people in your family that need to know Jesus. There's people on your sports team. There's, there's people in the, in the mall. There, there's people in the grocery store. There's people in our world that need Jesus. You've been given the message, and now you're, it's time for you to rise up, stand up, and say there's work to do. There's people that need Jesus. And so these things that we learn about, they don't cause fear in our hearts. They cause fire in our veins. There's things that we are called to do to go out and be a part of. And so all of this, all of this prophecy that we looked at as history should give us motivation for the future about what the prophecy is going to be fulfilled like and say there's a call on my life right here, right now to go out and do something about it. The reason I spent all the time nerding out about the history is because it should go, oh my gosh, God, God kind of 
knows what he's talking about. And God still has plans for my future and our future. And so I'm going to be like Daniel, and I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go my way. And wherever your way is, carry the message that God's given you. Wherever your way is, whatever encounters you find, whatever people you find, whatever situations you find yourself in, go your way and carry that message. Daniel, I'm sure that these moments and these encounters that he had marked the rest of his life. I'm sure as they said, like, put this out of your mind, he's like, yeah, but, but I don't think I can. Like, there's people that need to know. He, he wrote it all down. He's like, put it out of my mind. I'm going to put it down on this paper. Because <laughs> people need to recognize that God is still working. And God's given us these these words, these, this truths, this future, so that we can be confident in who he is and recognize that he's got a call for us here and now. And let me wrap this thing up the same way we started. You don't have to have your life together to be used by God. God's given you a message. God's given you a story. Some of you have, have deep stories. Some of you guys know what it's like to go through hurt and loss and be redeemed by Christ. Others of you know what it's like to come from broken homes and broken families and, and, and situations where it's not good or, or, or seasons of pain or seasons of loneliness or, or, or maybe it's anxiety or, or doubt or fear or whatever it is, but God met you there. And you know what it's like to have an encounter with Jesus and to, get, and to find hope in that situation. And now what if God wants to use that hope that you found to bring hope to somebody else? What if God wants to use the, the, the anxiety and the depression that you've dealt with to show other people that there's a better way? Maybe the, maybe the broken family that you came from, yeah, it's hard, and, and I feel for you, and I, and I know it sucks, and I know it, I wish we could, it could be better. But maybe God wants to use you to bring encouragement and hope for somebody else that's dealing with that exact same thing. You don't need to have it all together. You just need to be surrendered to God. God's going to use you right where you're at. And Daniel's writings were inspiration and hope for generations throughout seasons of exile and struggle. You know, no, I'm going to close. I'm not going to say that. The promise of the book is that God is faithful and will deliver no matter what circumstance you're in. God is faithful and will deliver but we must be patient and stay faithful to him.